Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So, this evening, I've been uh, on two back-to-back podcasts. This makes three. I've been busy, and it's a Monday. (laughs) So, I'm excited because I just got done talking with another doctor, and now I get to have another doctor on right here, right now. We're streaming this live in the Facebook world, as we always do. And I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper. This gentleman might know a little bit about fitness and endurance, which is my my fan of choice as far as my activities. I love endurance sports. It taps your mindset into a whole different thing. But this guy might take it a little bit to another level because he's done Ironmans like 43 times, and I've not done one. <laughs> but but more background this guy. He, he might know how to talk about you know integrative cancer care. He's talked before with other shows about autoimmune disease, Lyme disease. He talks about fatigue and weight loss and depression. These are all subjects that we've talked about with multiple other co-hosts on this show. Uh, But he's got a lot more. I mean, neurological diseases, Parkinson's, dementia, MS. I spent years raising money for MS. So I was really looking forward to uh, getting him on the show and talk more about how important it is for you all out there watching and listening to take your health seriously, to work on ways to optimize and improve because we are all accountable for our own health. So without further ado, the health optimization expert himself, Dr. David Minkoff, sir, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. I'm and, so happy to be here and talk to you. Yeah, and I, and uh, as we right before we hit record, sounds like it's a nice hot and uh, you know humid day in Florida because that's where you're airing from, and we're in the same time zone, which is refreshing for me for once. <laughs> so, uh, okay. whereas I have a nice calm, I think it might have hit 80 degrees today, and we didn't really have too much humidity. It's actually been a beautiful day. So, we've had a super steamy week, like. A lot of rain, but like today, the humidity is probably 99. Temperature Oof. was 92, just thick. A little, little too much even for us Floridians. Now, has your uh, I, I like to call it the insect season. Has that started kicking in yet? Like when? Not bad yet. Not bad yet. Okay. No. When does that normally kick in? It can kick in any time. Once it oh. starts getting wet, yeah, then they come out. Oh but yeah. Like today, I walked my dog when I got home and. Usually I get some bites because it's right at dusk, and uh, I didn't get bit, so they're they're not out yet. Nice. Yeah. You got, I, I tell you all the time, it's, something, it's like, right, hey, you have a heavy, humid day, but hey, I don't have the bugs crazy yet, so you got to celebrate those wins. And For sure. W- with all the negative energy flowing right now, I, I love talking about health in any form and fashion, even if it's something as simple as, having a positive thought, a positive action, or something as simple as, hey, man, I didn't get bit by a bug today. People underestimate the importance of these little things. And that's kind of how I wanted to kind of kick things off with you because that's why I love talking about fitness and sports as well. I mean, not everybody needs to be an Ironman athlete to start learning the importance of your mindset and your mind game. But would you say that's also a huge component of optimizing your health? It's uh, probably 90%. Oh, I like it. All right. Why is it 90%? What they say is that 80% of what's, what walks into a doctor's office is psychosomatic. Okay. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you're, I think part of the problem with COVID isn't the virus. It's the fear promotion that really gets to people. And fear is an immune suppressant, big time. 
And so I think if there's a, you know, if there's a message for my patients or a message for anyone listening, it really is that you can be, they, they, for reasons that I don't, I'm not exactly sure of, the combination of sort of media and pseudoscience has put this thing, they've been able to capture a fear in, that exists in all of us, sure. but that really got it this time. And so you, you can shut down a world economy on something that's turning out to be probably no worse than a seasonal flu, but nobody's ever been able to pull that off before. True. And I think it's fear-based. And I understand people are generally afraid. The first few weeks or, or a month of this, I wasn't sure either. I used to be an infectious disease specialist. And oh, wow. so I understand viruses and I worked in a hospital and was an infection control officer. And I have seen like infections like plague where you're, the person would be dead in 24 hours unless they had very dramatic early treatment. Sure. Or a flesh eating strep where the leg is gone in a couple of days because the, you know, the, 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 agroness of the bacteria or the virus is so strong hmm. and at first it looked like that's what this was and it really did make for a you know a collapse of the world economy and and so many other things um so i think psychosomatic is a really really big thing and that people especially at times like this have to find positive reinforcement reinforcements for their humor and their enjoyment of each other and their mental attitude and uh, or us and, and stay away from major media mm -hmm. because they play on this and they you know it's their bread and butter i think it's hilarious right now that you're hitting on a lot of the same cylinders so to speak as my literally the show i just ended before hopping on with you is a, another doctor same and he's actually an expert in this he has years of collected data on this because he's actually he's got a showing at the at the smithsonian in washington dc right now and uh he collected all this data and on the history of this and he's trying to promote he's trying to work with the government to get complete transparency because he said you know the advantage of you guys being doctors is is that you have to be transparent if you ever happen to be speaking or doing a training and if you happen to have one dollar in one piece of stock of that one company that makes that one product you have to disclose that Right. So there's that power of truth and transparency. And he said one of the biggest problems is back to media is there's no checks and balance system. They have so much power and they can just run rampant with the drama and not confirm anything and right. and push stuff where it's like, OK, was it backed up? And, and we're not playing the silver hat foil thing like this is all real. I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, um, I heard an interview which said that the about 70%, depending on the season, like especially with election season, mm -hmm. but about 70% of the media buys are pharmaceutical related. And so they have a lot of influence on what gets published and what doesn't and what can be said and what isn't. And, uh, you know, Google is a vaccine company. They, they own big stakes in vaccine companies. Mm. So you get these huge conglomerates which, which really control what we see and what we can learn about and what we're going to read and what we're going to hear on, you know, CNN or Fox news or whatever it is. Right. And so 
they can control the narrative. And unless you're especially interested or persistent to try to find out what is actually the true data so that you could make an educated understanding assumption about what's, what's happening is, it's becoming very hard because there is global censorship now in anything that isn't the narrative. And the guys that got me the most are those two emergency room doctors in California. Yeah, who, yeah. You know, it's just like, well, it was up for 24 hours and it got disappeared. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, if there's a 1984 scenario going on, you know, an Orwell scenario going on, then this is the scenario. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very, I think that the more people that can understand this and protest it and use other outlets to find information that we can, you know, we can outwit this thing and outwit the guys who are trying to do this thing mm -hmm. and it'll be better for all of us. Well, I've always uh, said this in regards to health in general. I mean, thanks to, you know, having conversations like we're having tonight with, I've lost track of how many different types of doctors I've had on this show since, you know, over the past four plus years. And there's always been a common thread. So if we're talking about somebody coming into your doctor's office, for example, uh, one doctor put it best. He's like, listen, we are all accountable as individuals for our own health. He's like, going to your doctor is going in to get an opinion, to get an evaluation, whatever. He's just like, but you can't expect us to fix everything. He's like, you still have your own personal responsibility to do your own research, uh, take accountability for your health, take accountability for nutrition, things of that nature, especially from something as simple as the foundation of nutrition. But going back to our point on mindset too, it's like I've learned from some pretty powerful coaches over the years, years ago, when I started really leveling my game up, they said, unplug from the negative news networks. You want to make one powerful change in your life. So I've, I've never owned cable. Like I, I have an internet package here for my wife and I, and that's it. So she'll put on like Netflix or something like that on a smart TV, but that's it. We've never owned cable. And until I met her, I didn't even own a TV for probably three, four years. I stopped doing that too. So it's interesting how cle cleared out your mindset gets and more sharpened and directed without all the negative stuff that's just constantly being bombarded at it. And I was like, and I more reason for me to stay healthy and fit so I can go do sports because I don't have time to watch TV. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, there's, 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 more than ever before now, there are information sources which are really good. There's thousands of podcasts from real experts, real guys who are shaping public policy or have an understanding of this or that or that. And I think, you know, if you spend time doing that stuff, you can actually learn, you know, you can learn stuff and then you can make your, you know, can look at your own life and compare, does that work? Is that true? Is that helping me? Is my attitude better? Am I feeling better? And then, then you do that. And when you find this, you know, well, it goes back to that, that accountability. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. I, I, I think I haven't, looked, I haven't logged in in a while. Last time I logged into my audible account, right? Audiobooks, I had yeah. over 1500 hours logged. That's just right. one application. And that I had, right. that's not, that's not including, because even though I'm a podcaster, I still voraciously listen to other podcasts. I, yeah. I, I that's my self-education. So I'm constantly listening to podcasts and audiobooks, especially if and when I'm traveling, which I'm not doing a lot of travel right now. Uh, so I'm yeah. actually, I'm probably a little down on my consumption rates because I'm stuck here at the home office running the business and everything. Whereas I miss traveling because that's when I would catch up on all my extra education. <laughs> 
but that's that point, right? Eventually that became part of my life. And I could totally attribute that to some of my success. I mean, when you got into doing endurance sports, like for example, the Ironman stuff, that didn't just happen overnight. You had to start learning about that and figuring that out. Right. Well, I'm a, I'm a sort of all in guy. So I, I, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. And when I finished my, my inter, my medical school training at university of Wisconsin, I moved to San Diego and I was at university of California, San Diego in, in the program there. And that was 1974 and Frank Shorter had won the Olympic marathon. Hmm. And a couple of years before my, my, actually my first year of medical school, my dad had a near fatal heart attack. Wow. Uh, and I thought he was an invincible guy, even though he smoked three packs a day, he, he carried himself like he was indestructible and he would live forever. Um, and so I thought I better do something to, I, you know, I played regular sports in, in high school um, and I was a hurdler in high school, Oh wow! but I never done any kind. I'd never run a 5k or a 10k or anything. And Neither so I. when I moved to San Diego, I started running and I caught the bug and I did like five marathons. And then one afternoon, uh, in 1982, my best friend and I were sitting at the television set watching wide world of sports. And it was the episode where Julie Moss, who was living in San Diego at the time, um, got to 100 yards of the finish line and collapsed and then was crawling toward the finish. I don't know if you've seen the clip. No, it's, it's a powerfully yeah. inspirational video that went viral. I mean, and yeah. it's still, so we're you can still go watch it today on YouTube. So Yeah, so we're watching it. And then, and then the second place woman, you know, she comes by her. And I'm sitting next to my friend on the couch and we looked at each other and we both said at the same time, we got to do this race. (laughs) So that was February of 82. And he said he had just started a financial services business. So he's doing investments. And I had just gone into practice and I didn't have much money and I was working a hundred hours a week. And he said, you give me all your extra money. And in five years, we'll both be rich and then we'll train and we'll go and do the Ironman. And I said, good. And we shook hands on it. <laughs> but that night I couldn't sleep. And I thought my, my, my wife's parents had died the year before. Okay. And they had left us $10,000, okay. which we had invested with the guy who promptly lost all of the money. Hmm. So I looked, so I'm, I'm, I'm in bed and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking, well, if I give him money, he could lose all of it just like the last guy did. Sure. And I can't wait five years. I've got to do this now. And so that morning, I looked in the newspaper. I found a used Mashiki bicycle. And I, I'd been a lifeguard in college. At, you know, my summer job was lifeguard job. So I could swim. And I called the local YMCA. And I joined the YMCA. And I, I went on the Ironman. I don't even know if it was a website. I think you mailed it in. Probably. But in 1982. Yeah. Nobody knew about it. Yeah. And my application got accepted. And six months later, I was on the starting line in Kona and did my first Ironman, which happened to be in Hawaii. Not a bad uh, way to kick it off. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd actually done one race before that. The US the, the USTS start series started in nineteen eighty-two. Oh. And the first race was in San Diego. I mean, you could pick, I mean, I, I was going to say this earlier, San Diego, I've been here multiple times. But it's Amazing June. weather. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's June, and it's cloudy, Uh-oh. and it's 56 degrees outside, and the ocean's probably 58, Ooh. and there was no wetsuits in those days. And I actually hadn't been in the ocean at all. I was a pool swimmer. Uh-oh. And so it's a cold day, and I've got, you know, 6% body fat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not experienced in the ocean, and it's really rough. And I get out there probably half a mile, and I am shivering, and I'm semi-delirious, and I don't know exactly where I am. And I start, you know, throwing up my hands, and some lifeguard came over and pulls me on a surfboard takes me back to shore takes me into the ambulance my body temperature is 92 and i sat in there for two hours and i saw dave scott and mark allen come across the finish line and i'd warmed up by then and i thought i have to at least do the rate the 10k so i, <laughs> I got on the ambulance and i finished the race see that's that was mindset my first right there, experience man. that's mindset yeah <laughs> i don't like getting knocked out either um it's, but you know, it's sometimes it happens, right? Like you're, you're a novice. Yeah. It was a learning experience. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. There was no wetsuits back then. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I mean, my, my wife last year did her first open water swim triathlon. She's been adding triathlons in the past couple of years. And it was, it was off the coast of New Jersey in the Atlantic. And they had a massive undertow issue that day. And so a lot of people weren't ready for that. And at some point, she didn't know this. At some point, she, like, she could not get past this one buoy. She had, she kept getting thrown under the buoy. And she's telling me about this. And I was like, how'd you get through it? And she's like, well, here's, 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 the, here's the sucky part. She's like, apparently it was so bad and so many racers weren't able to complete it that they actually made the decision to move the buoy closer. But she was already past that point. So one of the buoys, the go around. So she had very well. She had no idea. Like she had no idea they actually made the distance shorter to help people survive. I mean, she eventually made it through, and she's like, "I don't think I'm going to do an open water one for a long time." Right. <laughs> but she still completed it. So. Good for her. Yeah, it's. But see, these are these things. I'm talking about the mindset piece, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, we we talk a lot of, on this show about nutrition and everything else, but I so many people, especially right now, underestimate the positive mindset. And you are right. I truly believe that I've, I have my bad days, right? We all get stressed out. We all have, we have to, you know, sometimes kick ourselves in the butt to kind of get us right back on track. But that's also part of that mindset game too, is the better you get at this, the better you can catch yourself and hit that reset switch. And I truly believe in what you said. I believe that my immune system, I mean, granted, I grew up on a farm. So my brother and I make a joke. We used to throw like cow manure at each other like we'd have to have crap fights so like just i think our immune systems were already strong just coming off the farm uh but i also believe in the mindset piece and it's like yeah i i believe that i am invincible i say bring it on you know i'd rather take that challenge on because that's what i have immune system for so probably not the best medical advice (laughs) it's pretty good okay you know it's pretty good in the in that first iron man experience i'm i I'm at the end of the race or I, I come across the finish line. It's like 12 hours and I think 50 minutes, which isn't a bad time um, for a first time Ironman in Hawaii. Hmm. But I, I had decided that I was never going to do another Ironman again hmm. because it was so tough. And my friend who, who did the race with me, um, he decided the same thing. 
we're never coming back here. Like this is the craziest thing we ever thought of. Never say never. <laughs> so we finished the race and we're in Kona for a couple of days, just relaxing. And uh, we get on the plane to fly back to San Diego. And there's about 40 guys that had done the race that were on that plane. And so it's a six hour flight of commiseration with each other. But by the time we landed in San Diego, every person on that plane had decided that race beat us and we're going to beat it nice. and we're going to go back next year and we're going to do it again. See, and we did. That's that mental fortitude piece that, I mean, you could talk about it and you can try and get coached on it, but the only way to build it is by failing or, or ch beginning challenge and, and actually stepping up and going back in. And I mean, that, that's what I learned the hard, hardest way was uh, part of the backstory of Live the Fuel was, and I don't know how much you know about my backstory, but like I left the corporate world and went with, I served as a, since you lived in California, I used to fight wildfires for a couple of years with the federal government. So that was a wake up call because the sport of CrossFit had just exist, you know, create, been, been created the brand, right? It was a, whatever, it's, it's functional fitness, but I didn't know what that was. I showed up on my fire base and we're, we're told that we're going to be doing two a days for the next two weeks straight, no days off. And I'm like, what's a two a day? I, 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 I used to work for a gym. I'm like, what's a two a day? Okay, so two workouts a day, got it. But then you find out that, well, your firefighting, the reason why they're doing this is because your firefighting shift will be 16 hour days. You know, if you're assigned to a fire, a wildfire, you're gonna be doing that for two weeks straight until you have to take two mandatory days off. Whereas back in the day, the 80s and the 90s, they used to run you 21 days straight. Uh, and then- well health rules change like dude you have so much accumulated exhaustion they finally said oh, fine let's 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 move from 21 to 14 that, that's that's yeah. a little bit better <laughs> you're still beating the crap out of yourself 16 hours a day for two weeks straight that was hard and at the end yeah. of that first year i had told my superintendent who gave me a shot because i was the wild card i was called old because i was 31 you know because they, they're like the military they hire kids like 18 19 like i was the old guy like and I had, a, I had a BS degree in marketing and psychology. And he's like, this has nothing to do with this. I had no firefighting background. And I landed a position on one of the elite hotshot crews. So he's like, I'm taking a huge risk on you. <laughs> but he's like, I like your mindset. He's like, I'll give you a shot. And I, he said, but I need you committed for two years. He's like, I'm rebuilding this crew. I need people I can count on if you can commit me for two years. And I'll tell you, at the end of that first year, I was seriously second guessing coming back. And I, and. But then within a month, I'd gone and hiked hiked in Ireland. So same concept with you. I was like, you know, eventually he's like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I was like, no. One, out of integrity alone, you said two years. Get your bat, get your butt back out to Arizona and serve. And number two, it was also like, I don't, I'm not a quitter. And I was like, what are you doing? You don't quit. What's, what's this? You know, I, I'd already run my first marathon prior to that. So that was, that was torturous. Um, there, there's, there's that mental fortitude that gets built. And I think we're all, as human beings, supposed to get beat up a little bit. That's what I'm hearing from you, too. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the challenge of the current generation is it's way too easy. Hmm. You know, it's just way too easy. The parents are too nice. Yes. The homes are too nice. There's too much food. It's too easy. And, you know, I, I guess I grew up with, you know, depression. Par parents who grew up in the Depression, it was hard. It wasn't easy and that you just had to gut it out. And if your parent, you know, even it, it doesn't matter what 
area you look at. I remember coming home from school in, in high school with on seven subjects, six A's and one B. And my mother would be all over me like, you're better than that. What is this stuff? You know, it was like, good enough is not good enough. Hmm. Really, it's about excellence. It's about how much ability of your own can you actually manifest? And we all have way, way more. And you never really know in what the edge is unless you keep testing the edge. Hmm. And I think people who grow up with that mindset, whether they get it in sports or they get it in business or they get it in, you know, whatever their whatever their passion field is, is that you just have to sit down and be able to confront the obstacles and move through them because anybody who's done anything worthwhile has done that. There is no free lunch and and nobody can give you anything anyway. You know, the guys that win the lottery, most of them are broken two years. They yep. don't know what to do. It's it's you know, and the guy who's earned it as he went, he you know, unless he's just a player and he throws it all on the table every time, yeah, he's he's got an appreciation for it because he earned it. There's a lottery winner here that lives in Florida and lives in, in, in where we live here an hour north of Philadelphia in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, he's a retired judge. So him and another guy had gone in on a lotto ticket and they won. But he had already busted his ass his whole career being a lawyer and then becoming a judge and everything else. So he's been wealthy this whole time because he already worked hard for everything he already had. This was just icing on the cake, so to speak. So... Uh, so it's funny because when he is here in Pennsylvania, uh, he's a regular at my friend's little little eatery, and him and his wife, you know, young startup, and their commercial refrigerator uh, took a crap, and he's he's there like two three times a week eating. So so he's like, hey, just tell me what it is, just get it, and he gave them a commercial refrigerator because he likes going there to eat. He didn't want anything in return, so they they got, they got a nice little logo made on the refrigerator. They took the brand name off, and it says the Judge on the refrigerator. You know, because that's everybody knows him as the judge. So, but again, he'd already busted his ass his whole career. He was probably, yeah, he's probably in his seventies. So, I mean, he's like, yeah, I mean, he knows how to hold on to things. He's not, he's not crazy frivolous. He's always giving stuff back. Like, uh, it's, I'm always hearing about stuff like this, but he doesn't want any credit for it. And he hasn't, he hasn't lost the money, but to your point, younger minded people who haven't worked their butts off their whole life, it's very easy to just just blow through that cash because there's no intelligence there to help with the uh, understanding of, of that money management. So, right. but, but that goes back to health. I mean, let's, let's full circle this. I am obviously a huge advocate for proper nutrition, right? And it, my own family, people are like, Oh man, you must have great genetics. I'm six foot four. I'm 190 pounds. Sometimes I'm like 180 to 190, depending on where I'm at my training season. And everybody's like, Oh man, you must have great genetics. I was like, if you look at my family right now, I love them. They're all overweight. But we right. were none of us were overweight when we lived on the farm. And I'm always telling my dad and my mom, like, just I'm doing what you taught me as a kid. It just took right. me the past 20, 20 years also to realize that we we fell so far off of that curve. And yeah, I mean, my, my client, you probably have heard of him, uh, Vinny Tortorich, famous fitness trainer. You might have, yeah. you might have even been on the show. I don't even know. Um, yeah. Fitness Confidential. He owns the trademark, yeah. NSNG, no sugar, no grains. Something as simple as that, right? It's like, it's not 
doesn't have to be rocket science. But some people say I'm a little crazy. I'm I'm too dedicated. And I was like, well, like you said earlier in the show, like, well, sometimes you're just all in on something. And if I know it works, why would I want to you know sway from that or move away from that? So what are your thoughts on that with the whole nutrition issue <laughs> and our health? Well, I, I think it's, if you're thinking about health, you can't have health with without good nutrition. You can't. Yeah. You know, that's part of it. Part of it is too much food. But the other part of it is that most of the food that we're eating today is damaged food. Oh, yeah. You know, it's damaged. Fast food is damaged. Well, it's manufactured. Non-organic food. Huh? <laughs> I said fast it's food is manufactured. manufactured. It's a science yeah, experiment. It's, chem <laughs> it's chemicals. Yeah. And, and the, and it's not even, it's, 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 it's chemicals that aren't even good. No. You know, it's contaminated chemicals. So, I mean, people have to eat organic food if they want to be healthy. They have to be careful about where the food is sourced, where their supplements are sourced. Um, because, you know, it's a, we, we are biology. We are individual cells that are alive and those cells need certain things. And if you give them too much of the wrong things, they get poisoned. And when they get poisoned, then the whole body gets poisoned. My whole practice is about, you know, everyone that I see, whether it's a, a, a really good high-end athlete or someone who's got stage four cancer or Parkinson's or, or serious Lyme disease, Every one of them has contamination issues. They have things in their body that shouldn't be there. And they came in through what they ate and what they drank and mm -hmm. what, you know, what they put on their skin and what they breathed. And you can't restore their health until you can fix that. And all of them have gut issues, which is a result also of what they've eaten. So they have parasites and bad bacteria and things like that. And so, you know, our starting point is, hey, this is what good food looks like. And this is what you need to be eating. And you got to cut all the other stuff out. Now, maybe once you're healthy, you can indulge now and then, sure. or you can have a cheat day or whatever you want to call it. Until we reach that point where the balance is tipped, where you now have energy again, and your, uh, your pain is gone, because that's the most common thing for a doctor's office. It's I'm tired and I hurt. Right. And when those things start to, and, and for many people within six to eight weeks, they just go, just, okay, go on a, an organic paleo diet, six weeks, about 80% of people, their, their, their gastric reflux and their constipation and their bloating will go away and they'll feel better mm -hmm. and their skin itch will go away and their sleep will be better. And you can't not do that and get there. Yeah. So nutrition is the, is the key. And I think the other part of it is that the food today isn't what it used to be. You know, it's the soil isn't any good yeah. and the, um, and, and it's depleted. So you need a good supplementation program to be able to, you know, nurture your body with the things that it needs. I've always been a supporter of the supplements only because of that exact reason, because I did grow up in the farming world. So I knew more about that, right? I knew, what I mean, my, my dad used to outsource the fields on our farm, uh, but I knew what, we didn't plant soybeans and corn every single year. Like the animals were eating fresh alfalfa and, and grasses from the fields. Like we don't even feed our, 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 our meat supply the same way unless you're working with small localized farms who have a clue. Uh, but to your point is, yes, supplementation. I mean, I don't know. Do you even know the year? Like when did the exogenous like – supplementation get creative was it early 1900s maybe like supplements haven't been around that long 
but they are necessary. The original, the original supplements like Neutralite and some of those companies, yeah. what they were doing is they were just doing concentrates of organic alfalfa yeah. and, 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 and plant foods. Right. They were making concentrates of plant foods because they knew that what people even were eating then wasn't enough. Right. And that's where it came from. It's like, guys, like, sorry. I mean, it is true. As we we're talking about right now, yeah, the food is not what it used to be. So, and I always tell people, I've had experts on the show talking about, you know, gut health, gut bacteria, which you were just talking about, right? Like getting that reset and reprogrammed is so crucial. People underestimate the, the power of your gut. Right. <laughs> and obviously it sounds like you dig into that heavily with your clients as well. Oh yeah. It's a, it's the first thing that we have to do because virtually everybody suffers from it. Yeah. Uh, and um, so health is, all the systems are working together in harmony and the most important system in your body is your gut. All your neurotransmitters come from your gut. All your food absorption comes from there. Most of your elimination comes from there. So if that organ is not working properly, then you you just can't have health. So do you see a heavy tie to that to, for example, obviously you work with lots of different types of conditions. So something as simple as, well, not simple, but something as complex as like Parkinson's, for example. Um, like I got to help work on the, the movie project fat a documentary last year that Vinny put out and it's the first documentary it's kind of about the truth about healthy fats and how far we've gone off of the nutrition I don't know just down that psychopath I want to call it <laughs> thanks to some poor government decisions so but like how most of your brain tissue is fat tissue so it's like okay people underestimate the importance of healthy fats for example or they're consuming the wrong fats and do you have have you seen your own seen benefits, obviously, of improving gut health, improving the right amount of healthy fat intake, et cetera, with like Parkinson patients at all? Oh, sure. I mean, the unless the Parkinson's patient are really total end stage, most of them can get huge improvements hmm. from their nutrition, their gut health, um, balance, you know, getting their, you know, completing nutrients that they don't have. Their okay. vitamin A and their zinc and their omega-3 fat balance. These things are really important. Uh, their dental health is really important. Um, that you can, you know, and some of them are full of heavy metals or they have low-grade infections, Lyme disease or cytomegalovirus or, or they have parasit, parasite infections. That if you could sort of figure out what, the, what they've got, you can actually really help them to get better. And they will improve and they can grow new neurons and they can, uh, you know, their symptoms go way down and sometimes they even go away. So I'm intrigued just because you, you were in the traditional medical world. I mean, still are, but then you really started going off the normal traditional path, right? Because traditional MD or medical world or ERs, like no one, most guys I've talked to male, male, female, doesn't matter that are in the medical profession. They aren't thinking about functional medicine and these other areas that uh, it seems like, like you, for example, through the years of your experience, you eventually reach a point where, okay, well, the traditional, I hate to use the word traditional because I really feel like functional medicine should be more traditional. <laughs> so right. like you, you started going into these other areas and obviously the work you put into your book, for example, a search for the perfect protein, right? So like what triggered that transition for you just realizing that, you know, pharmaceuticals aren't the answer to everything? <laughs> well, no, because I didn't know that at the time. I right. thought they were the answer to everything. Right. You know, I'm working, I'm a, I, I've had a few different medical careers. I was a pediatrician, then I was an infectious disease specialist, 
then I was a neonatologist, and then I was an emergency room doctor. So at the time that this occurred, I was working in the emergency room. My wife is a registered nurse, and she, you know, she's an explorer and she's an innovator, and she's looking for. Uh, she she was getting Life Extension magazine, and she started reading these articles about this and that, and should I, I should look at it, and you know, and at the time I wasn't really very interested in it. Okay. You know, your average doctor has a mindset which is. If I don't know about it, it isn't any good. You know, if they didn't teach me in medical school, it's not true. Okay. Uh, so um, then she decided to get the, so she learned about mercury and fillings in your teeth and how bad they were. Yeah. And she decided to go to a, to a dentist who didn't have the right equipment and didn't have the right know-how to remove them safely from her mouth. And she had probably a dozen fillings. This is at age 40. Yeah. A dozen fillings at uh, from the time she's probably six or seven years old, and she got ill. You know, she got ill. She got she got ill. And the doctors, I knew the best doctors in town because I'm at the big you know I'm at the big hospital. Sure. And I knew the best endocrinologist and the best liver specialist and the best neurologist, and they could not help her. And the suggestions that they were making were toxic medications. Wow. And so by accident, I, I ran across, you know, she's looking and I'm looking like there's got to be answers to this stuff. And I ran into a, a what was called a, the, I, it, it. She's a nurse and she runs a home health care nursing business. Okay. And in the strip mall where her office was, a dentist had moved in and on the marquee, it said natural dentistry. And one day I was going by there and he walked, he was walking out of his office and got in his car or he's getting in his car and I stopped him and I said, Hey, what is natural dentistry? Anyway, I introduced myself. And he said, well, most dentists have the idea that the mouth isn't really part of the body, that you can do things in the mouth that you wouldn't do in the body. No doctor would ever put mercury in anyone's body. True. On the list of toxic substances, it's right up there, either at the top or right below uranium. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not, they don't, let's, let's pause on that. They're not using mercury anymore. Right. I mean, they sure are using mercury. Oh, your silver filling is 50% mercury. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, one of my best friends I, I road bike with, he's, uh, is he 60 yet? Yeah. He's, he's 61, 62. Um, yeah. he's, he's my dentist and I never bought, I'm going to ask him next time because he's a huge health nut. And uh, I wonder if he's chosen a different path for that because we'll have him open his mouth and see if he's got silver fillings. And ah, if he does, okay. he's, he's not a health nut. Well, he's the first person that taught me that there's two types of dental patients. There's yeah. people who genetically either a have great teeth or B have great gums. So I've, except when I was a little kid, I've never had cavities. Right. Yeah. So I have great, he's like, dude, you always have, you're always going to have great teeth. He's like, you just need to floss more, you know, just do, do more gum care. And I was like, Right. He's like, yeah, there's always one or two. He's like, I, I, every single time he can pick that out. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. So, so he's telling me, you know, so uh, a silver filling, a quote unquote silver filling is 50% mercury. Okay. And it's, it's an amalgam. So it's a mixture of silver, tin and copper with mercury. That's the, the usual blend. Hmm. Now they're very durable. They last a long time, but they are, you know, I don't know if you were ever a kid and you played with mercury, like the thermometer broke yeah, and you played with yeah. mercury. Okay. So mercury is the only metal that's liquid at room temperature. Right. And it boils at 110 degrees. So if you've got these fillings in your mouth and you have a hot cup of soup or a hot cup of tea or coffee, 
that temperature of that liquid is probably 140, 150. Yeah. And when it hits that mercury, it's going to boil. So you're kind, you're kind of like creating a leaching effect, right? Well, it's not a leaching, it off gases. Oh, wow. It turns it, you know, the difference between boiling of, of liquid water and steam is temperature. Right. So steam is aerosolized water particles. True. You know, you break up the bonds enough that now they come off. And that's what happens with mercury. Huh. So there's lots of experiments that were done with sheep, you know, take a nice sheep, uh, create a cavity, fill it with mercury, radioactively label the mercury so you can tell, does it stay there or does it go somewhere? Okay. And it, what you find three months later, they sacrifice the sheep and they look in the kidneys as there's mercury in there and they look in the heart and there's mercury in there and they look in the brain and there's mercury in there. Wow. It comes off and it floods the body and it's a poison. So he says, we don't do that. We use other things that are that 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 you would actually use somewhere else in the body. So it's not toxic. The other big one with dentistry is, is root canal teeth. Like no doctor leaves in dead infected organs. If you have a gangrenous toe, it's going to come off. You cannot cure it. Right. The blood supply back into that toe is no good. You can't get antibiotics in there. Wow. The toe's got to go or the poisons from the bacteria that are in that toe, the clostridia that's in that toe, or whatever the bacteria is, it's going to come back into the body and it's going to kill the guy. But dentists routinely put root canals in people. They're infected teeth. They're dead. The body can't defend against it. So, so you know, there's a there's a whole field with this of, hey, if you're going to get people healthy, sometimes it's the subtle things like that that are the things that are poisoning them and they don't know it and their dentist doesn't know it and their doctor's not looking for it. And so they, they're not helped. And so the, the treatments that they get are band-aid treatments to try to help them with their pain or their brain fog or their fatigue. And so now they end up on, you know, amphetamines to help their, and, and sleep drugs because they can't sleep or yeah. antidepressant drugs because they're depressed or anti-anxiety drugs. And so three quarters of the population thinks that this is how medicine should be. And that's what they take for treatment. It drives me crazy because my wife and I just experienced this. Um, she wanted to get a mole taken off this past week. So she's been on the waiting list and with COVID and everything else, they finally said, hey, here's your date. Go get your COVID test. Make sure you're okay. And then we're going to go ahead and just take that off. But before that even happened, they already, like the pharmacy called like, hey, by the way, we have your script ready to go for the hydrocodone. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My, my, my wife is a doctor. She's a veterinary doctor, large animal equine. Studied at Cornell and UPenn. Very smart girl. And she's a doctor of chiropractic. And she's just like, why the hell are you giving me, I'm having a mole taken off. Like, why are you giving me a script for hydrocodone? <laughs> it's like, uh, she, she came home and told me this. And I was like, because uh, last year I collapsed a lung. So right before one of my mountain biking races, I had an injury. Okay, fine. They wanted to do the same thing to me. And I'm like, well, you had lung surgery. I was like, okay, but I have a pretty good pain threshold and I'm not a fan of drugs. So I was like, how about you just give me like a hospital grade Tylenol or whatever you're allowed to give me and I'm good. I was like, I'll just tough it out. And I was like, are you, oh, we're going to keep this right here for you. I'm like, you go ahead and do that. And I don't want it, <laughs> but I have, right. a, I have a sister who suffers from depression. Um, yeah. and you might appreciate this. I've, I've fast few years. I just, I, I call it the pharmaceutical bandaid. I said, you're not solving anything. You're just treating a symptom. So it's a pharmaceutical band-aid. It's temporary. 
what what is the trigger? What caused it? And I'm not a doctor, right. but right. I figured you would appreciate that. <laughs> well, one of the things we measure in people as a routine are neurotransmitters. So these are the molecules that, that nerves communicate with. Okay. And the the major psychoactive medications work on these neurotransmitter pathways. What's very interesting, so the, the biggest class of drugs that are being sold right now, psychoactive drugs, are called SSRIs. Yep. They're antidepressants. And uh, and and Prozac and Lyrica and these kind of drugs are are, are drugs in that category. Not Lyrica, but, but uh, Prozac. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, Bruchin. There's a there's a whole bunch of them. Oh, I can't, I lost track they, of how many. <laughs> anyway, they sell in the billions. Yeah, and they're given out like water by mostly family practitioners and OBGYNs. Uh, now they're even being given to children, pediatricians, uh, for people who have diagnosed as clinical depression. Uh, there's a there's a psychiatrist named uh, Eamon, who is a psychiatrist that is pretty much blackballed by all the routine psychiatrists. Because he says, how can you be a psychiatrist and not actually image the organ that you are treating? Because hmm. your average psychiatry does a 15 or 20 minute intake interview and writes a prescription and that's the treatment. In the old days, people would talk to people and, you know, in Assessing. days like today, yeah. you know, like there are stressors that can occur in a person's life. And if they have someone to talk to about it yeah. or they can help them work out solutions, that's how it used to be. The priest or the rabbi or the you know the yeah. counselor that's how they they comforted people they actually helped people but now you have people who just think that the solution is biochemical and you can give drugs and you're fine and so we measure and what we find is that's not true and what dr amen finds when he does spec scans these are these are images of the brain where you can check the blood flow in the brain hmm. that people who have had traumatic brain injury or depression or anxiety their brains are not normal. The blood flow patterns in their brains are very abnormal. Hmm. And that you can see that there is a physical side to this illness and that if you treat it, now sometimes it's mold toxins and sometimes it's Lyme, you know, sometimes it's nutritional deficiencies that you can actually recover brain tissue, heal brain tissue, brain vascularity, Hmm. and these people, their symptoms go away. The other part of this is if you check, and I would def- I would check this against anybody who hears this. If you measure levels of neurotransmitters in people who are on antidepressants or anxiolytics, those numbers are never normalized by the drug. No. The drugs poison the neuron. As I say, they don't isn't it fix dampening? The problem. Huh? It's dampening it, right? I mean, wouldn't it be bringing well, it down? Well, or they push, or they poison the pump, you know, in the, mm. in the SSRIs, the, the serotonin, you know, when serotonin gets spritzed across the membrane to the other nerve, right? the one who sent it is supposed to suck the serotonin back. Because oh. once the message is gotten, you don't want the serotonin sitting there and it can reuse it. Okay. And SSRIs poison the reuptake pump. So the thing sends it out and then the serotonin sits there. Oh. And it's not taken up. Now, eventually, it causes damage to the nerve cell membrane, and then the effect of it's going to wear out because anything that you push too many times gets, you know, it gets insensitive to it. Yeah. But if you measure the level of serotonin in the body of someone who's been on SSRIs for three months, six months, ten years, it's low. You haven't really fixed anything except produce a drug 
addict, so to speak, not in a mental sense, but in a physical sense. That's interesting. And you know I... what? If you if, just one last thing, if you oh, yeah. if you correct their nutrition and you can do targeted nutrition to raise serotonin levels, they start to feel better and they can wean off their medication and they don't have to have it because it's not a defect in their structure. It's a pathology that is correctable. That makes sense because, and again, it's not my right to talk about what my sister's going through, but you know, she doesn't really talk about it, but uh, she tried not taking any of her meds and it didn't go well. I mean, so right. because she's been on them for so long and they have to keep changing the formulation over time right. because all of a sudden stuff isn't working anymore. And I keep, right. without me being the doctor, I'm like, I know there's something wrong here. Like her body gets adapted and you got to try something new because you haven't right. done anything to actually fix the problem. You're just re prescribing something on a new cocktail. I don't know. Uh, right. it's, it drives me crazy, but I, these so, are things I don't have control over. So. Right. And it's tough to make that adjudication for someone else and mm. her doctor's not on board. So th those are very tough situations. Yeah. A lot of times people come to us with those kinds of situations so then we, you know, we can work with them and they're already motivated. Like, I don't want to be on this. Right. Now, how do I handle it? And you can't just stop the drug because they will get in trouble. Yeah. You know, the drug is producing a function, uh, but it isn't the optimum way to do it. I've had, I had a, I just, you're just, as we're talking about, it reminds me of a, he was a 60 year, almost 16 year old kid who came from Arizona to Clearwater, Florida hmm. with, um, with depression. And uh, he had a diagnosis of Lyme disease and severe, severe anxiety. In fact, on his initial interview, he, he said, I can't even be in my own skin because I just feel too uncomfortable. And he had been tried on many medications and the medications made him feel worse and he wouldn't take them. Wow. He'd also, as part of his survival, had decided to become, he adopted sort of a gothic type uh, uh, being. You know, his hair was dyed black yeah, yeah. and he had those great big earrings in his ear and chains and piercings and dressed in black and really just kind of just like scowl. He wouldn't really even talk to me. Hmm. After about three months of treatment for his Lyme disease, which we do without antibiotics. We don't do it with pharmaceutical drugs. He one day came into the IV room and he'd undyed his hair black and he'd taken out his earrings and he didn't have his black t-shirt on and he didn't have all the chains on. And the nurse in our IV room called me and she said, I don't know what's happened to this kid, but something's happened and you better see him right away. Okay. So after his IV, he came back and I interviewed him and I said, what's happening? He said, I don't feel anxious anymore. Hmm. He said, in fact, I actually feel good. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw what I had done to myself. And I realized that this wasn't me at all. And so I took all this stuff off. So I said, well, what are your goals now? And he said, well, next week I'm going to be 16 and I want to, I'm ready to go home now. And I want to get my driver's license because I feel like I, I'm like normal. He was motivated. Yeah. And so that's, if you work with these kind of people with this kind of approach, you can change their lives uh, in such a good way that they recover their health and they recover, they really recover themselves. Wow. That's a great story. I mean, Thank I, you. I'm not, I'm not saying that all Gothic, you know, dressed people are going to need that type of situation, but that is interesting how somebody made their own decision to stop doing right. that type of stuff. And I've, I've, I used to have friends that would dress like that when they were younger. And, right. um, 
one of them, I remember them. I did too. I, I didn't think about it until the years talk about just now. And I remember one of them telling me like, I just, I just like to, I like to keep people away from me. Like they were not, they don't want people around them. So they did it to push people away. And yeah. from all this, all the mental experts and psychologists and psychiatrists on this show, they all agree that mankind as human beings, we're, we're meant to interact with each other. Like it's actually right. part of a healthy, balanced mindset, life, everything. Like we're supposed to be interacting and connecting with each other. So if there's a weird disconnect going on here, there's something else happening. Right. It, it seems like we're right. all supposed to have some yeah. type of healthy relationship with other human beings. So uh, there's a connectivity, if you will, there. So I agree. Uh, wow. Great backstory. Thank you. Well, well, listen, I mean, we're coming to the end of our time slot here. Um, did you have a couple of minutes left to leave some final words for our audience? I think that what you're telling people is the right message. You know, you are responsible for your own condition, not 98%, but 100%. And so you see people from all levels of society, from all areas of the world. And some people decide that I can make my life because I decided to do it. And some people decide that I'm a victim and everyone else is responsible for my condition. Hmm. And if you want to be happy, the second one doesn't work. And, you know, hard work and keeping your moral code in and, and surrounding yourself with good people and having a purpose for your life, whatever it is, but it ought to involve helping someone else or somebody else that if you can live toward that end, you can enjoy the time that you have here and feel like for whatever purpose you were put here, that you did it. And I think that the image I always have for myself is I've been in, informed that at 120 years old, I have one hour to go and I am able to look back and reflect on my life. And did I do what I, did I, did I accomplish what I set out to do? And were other people glad that I was here and I did it? And if you can answer those questions, there is a peace for yourself that no matter what's coming, um, you're gonna be okay. And if you're at that, and you can assess that right now and you create your own tomorrow so that you can decide you know, I could be a little bit better here. I could have done that, or I've always wanted to do that. And tomorrow you can decide to do that and write it down in your goal book and look at it every morning and figure out if I want to end up here and I'm here now, what are the steps to get there? I need more education. I need more influence in this area. I need to meet so-and-so, you know, whatever it is. And you have the power to do it. And it's, you know, you just have to decide. And if you've been a marathoner or an Ironman, or you've been a guy working an 80 hour week, you've got what it takes to move your butt from where it is to where you want to go. And you might as well do it because, you know, you're here and that's what life's about. And you just make it into what you want. That's some powerful words. That's that's what I was hoping to hear, Addy. I love it. So I actually okay. I actually started asking my guest co-hosts over the past year. It used to be just final words, and then it started helping re help me realize it's really about that. If I had to sum up, you just said that legacy message. Like, what is the legacy that we're leaving behind? And a lot of us need to think about that more in life. And I think it makes decisions a lot easier. 
to make those positive steps like you're talking about. Because I, I truly believe that every single one of us are capable of making those decisions. So absolutely every single person. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're a salesperson or a secretary, you impact people, people depend on you, you can help them, you can change their lives, you can lend sort of a sympathetic ear or a handshake or a hug, and you can change someone's life just by doing that. Love it. And that's really important. I love it. Listen, hang tight. I want to give you a proper goodbye actually off the air, but I'm going to do a quick screen share towards the end here for our listeners. So ladies and gentlemen, remember uh, his main site, actually you can find his book too, and I'm going to share that right now, is drminkhoff.com. Uh, right there again, uh, the search for the perfect protein is the book he released last year. If you want to l- learn more about that piece, uh, again, he's on Amazon there as well. Uh, but actually, and he also has his own supplement site, bodyhealth.com as well. So I'll make sure all this stuff is linked in the show notes for you all, the listeners. Uh, but I just want to give you a little visual shout out there for the Facebook feed and what will eventually be on YouTube. So again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I love today's episode. We ended up going a lot on mindset and it totally applies with this, these crazy times we're in right now. So thanks for tuning in. Every reminder, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. And uh, the doctor helped us do that today. So thanks for tuning in. Remember, you too could live the fuel. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.